Good morning. Good morning. My name is Father John Ziegler. I'm one of the pastors here at Church of the Resurrection. Happy to see you. Want to oh, psh, where are we? We're at we're Trinity. Sorry. <laughs> There's some things that are habituated. We also are the Church of the Resurrection. There's this icon right here. And every Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. So no matter what our name is, we're definitely of that and of the Trinity. We're very Trinitarian. <laughs> Let's just start this sermon over. Here we go. Hey, good morning, everyone. I'm Father John. I want to say a special welcome to you if you're joining us online. Glad that you could be here for this moment. Um, good to have a little comedy in the midst of a sermon, in the midst of a life. This past uh, week, uh, we received sad news. Maybe some of you have heard it already. Um, in the Anglican Church, we lost one of our best priests, Father Thomas McKenzie. Uh, who is pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Nashville, not too far away from us. Um, some of us here, I know Deacon Darrell was good friends with him personally. I had met him once in person, but really just touched by his writings. He wrote uh, not only great books, but also um, I watched the way he communicated with his congregation and others over social media and the way he communicated through newsletters. And uh, I feel like I, I've learned by his life and challenged uh, by his witness for Christ and um, he had just touched so many. And it, it, if, if anyone is following it, following it on Facebook or on Twitter, you just know there's a proliferation of outpouring of, of people just saying how much he had touched their life. And um, actually, one, one friend of ours, also a priest in our diocese, Tish Warren, shared something uh, from her book, The Liturgy of Ordinary, where she, where she mentions Father Thomas. And she said that Father Thomas used to always invite the congregation to imagine the communion table stretching out for miles because he wanted to remind them of the multitude of believers across space and time that share in the body of our Lord at this table. And I love that picture of this table that just stretches on. We have to see it, of course, with our spiritual eyes here this morning. We might have, what, six and a half feet, seven feet of table but spiritually, this table stretches out across space and time. And of course, when we commune, we're communing with the saints, right? The apostles, and we're communing with St. Augustine, and we're communing with your grandmother who's, who's gone to be with the Lord, right? And we're communing with our brothers and sisters in Africa and Asia and South America and all parts of the world. It's the communion of saints, the fellowship of all believers gathered around one table, this morning, the context of our gospel, the Pharisees are complaining about how Jesus' disciples come to the table. And it's no accident that this gospel reading this morning is sandwiched between two major feedings. Jesus feeds the 5,000 just before this, this reading, and then after this reading, we'll see that Jesus feeds the 4,000. And so it turns out that Jesus is welcoming more and more people to the table. And the table is starting to grow and expand. And so we learn in our gospel this morning that the Pharisees and some teachers of the law, so these are the religious leaders of Israel. And by the way, these are the very best religious leaders of Israel. These are Israel's teachers. These are Israel's pastors if you don't know, Jesus was in the same theological camp as the Pharisees. So they both believed 
and the resurrection. A lot of people would have understood Jesus in a sense to be a Pharisee. And so they're coming out and they see some of Jesus' disciples eating food with hands that are defiled, that is unwashed. And then we had this little explanation. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come in from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash their hands. Sounds like a a great practice, right? We're trying to encourage everyone to wash their hands. So it's actually a great idea. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Now, before we get to the problem, I want to talk for a minute about what is not the problem. What is not the problem? I think a lot of us have learned growing up in church, you know, the, the best meeting Sunday school teachers some of us had, we, some of us will have to unlearn some um, prejudices we have against the Pharisees. Now, Jesus, Jesus will get on the Pharisees, but we need to make sure that we understand why he's getting on them and that we understand the criticism and for the right reasons. So a lot of us that we might identify as, as Protestant, we have this uncle, this great uncle, Martin Luther, who was a really great guy, did a lot of great things. But he had his own struggle, right, with the corrupt medieval Roman Catholic Vatican, right? And he was fighting with them. And they had certain things that they were doing. And that kind of caused him, and, and rightly so, to read scripture through his own lens with his struggle with the Vatican. And so what that has kind of trickle down to us that are kind of downstream in that Protestant stream, a lot of us just, just want to flatten out the Pharisees. A lot of us want to think of the Pharisees. They're like these legalists over here, right? They're just all about the law, and Jesus came to bring us grace. Like, Jesus is totally not like them. Jesus doesn't care about the law. Jesus just wants grace, right? And so if we kind of flatten out the Pharisees and dismiss them, the gospel really isn't all that interesting, right? Because actually a lot of the the dialogue there is between the Pharisees and Jesus. And if we think about it for a moment, think about uh, Deuteronomy that was read this morning by Jeff, right? The idea is, hey, you're you're our people. God's like, you're my people. And we need you to live differently in the world. We need to set you apart. In fact, later on down the road, the prophets will come and they're going to tell them, hey, guess what? You actually didn't live according to God's good and beautiful ways that he set out for you. Now you're going into exile, right? God actually punished his people for not living according to his good ways. And then you guys might not know, depending on what Bible you have, you might not have a few uh, extra books kind of in the middle of it, right? Uh, We call it the Apocrypha. But there's some books in there like the Maccabees. And if ever you've read that, those books, you know the history. What happened, this is before the Romans come. The area is, is ruled by the Greeks. And there is a Greek king named uh, Antiochus IV, and he is actually forcing the Jews uh, to to stop following God's law. And he actually desecrates the the temple. He actually puts up an idol in the temple. And so there are these uh, religious zealots named the Maccabees that come along, and they cleanse the temple, right? They fight a religious holy war, and they win back the land uh, for God's people. Now, why are we going into this, John, why are we going up into this history tirade this morning? Well, simply because of this. I want you guys to be good readers of the Bible. I want you to read the Bible for yourself. I want you to be in the gospel daily. And I want you to understand that that is the actually immediate backdrop of the gospel. Why are the Pharisees so uptight 
are they just legalists? Are they like they don't know how to have any fun on the weekends, right? Are they just some legalist robots that are trying to get everyone to do everything and wash their hands? Well, it turns out they were given a law by God and they were given a way to, to, to live set apart. And they had just come out of a time where it all, like literally God's people almost disappeared from the map. They almost assimilated into the Greek culture. So there's a lot at stake here. There's a lot of tension in what's going on. One of my favorite theologians, Stanley Harawas, he often quotes uh, his Jewish friend that he worked alongside of the University of Notre Dame. I'm, I'm gonna read it to you. I once had a colleague at the University of Notre Dame who taught Judaica, so Jew, Jewish studies, who was a good Jew and liked to remind Christians that any religion does not tell you what to do with your pots and pans and genitals cannot be interesting. <laughs> I think that is true. Paul certainly thought that was the case. And what Stanley Harawas is getting at is that Christianity is not anti-materialist. It is concerned with the material world that we live in. It is concern, concerned with the here and now. And I can remember while I was in seminary, my seminary uh, president, the great uh, reformed theologian, Rich Mao, he would always quote this guy named, named Abraham Kuyper. And what Abraham Kuyper said is that there's not a single square inch of the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, mine. You see, it all belongs to Jesus. So every part of your life, it matters. And God has a claim on it. And the Pharisees know this, or they should know this, and Jesus certainly knows this. So what I'm trying to tell you this morning is the problem actually isn't that the Pharisees are too focused on keeping God's law. It turns out the problem is that their hearts are far from God who actually gave them this law. And they have abandoned the commandments of God and replaced it with their own traditions. And that's actually what Jesus is getting at when he quotes Isaiah to them. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as if they were doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. And then from there, he goes on to give this example of Corbin. And by the way, we follow the Revised Common Lectionary, which I love. And the lectionary sometimes just cuts out little pieces, I guess, to make the reading go faster or whatever. Sometimes they cut out the very best, the best figures. So let's talk about that piece they cut out. He says, hey, you guys know that there's this law that you're supposed to honor your father and your mother, right? You guys know this. And whoever speaks evil of father and mother must surely die. But you say that if anyone tells father or mother, whatever support you might have had from me is otherwise korban. So other, that, it, that means offering to God. And then you no longer permit them doing anything for their father and the mother. You see, these religious leaders had a really great deal worked out with them. They would say, hey, you know what? Actually, you are supposed to care for your mother and father. And so as they're kind of getting older and can't take care of themselves, you actually should be giving them money. But if you want to instead set aside that money and give it to us in the temple, we'll put it to good use, we'll take care of that, and, and you'll be good. You won't, you won't have that obligation. Do you see what these religious leaders have done? You see, they have greed in their hearts, and that greed has subverted the command of God to love and care for parents. And instead, they have re replaced that command 
with a tradition that actually sounds religious. Like, oh, you gave all this money to the church. How great you must be, right? But it turns out in doing that, quote, religious act, they're missing the very heart of God for God's people. And so Jesus goes on. He says, listen to me, all of you, and understand. It's nothing outside of a person that can defile a person, but it's the things that come from within, within the human heart. And then he goes on to name all these evil intentions that come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And he says, all these things come from within. And these are the things that defile. You see, the Pharisees had got it backwards. They had the outwardly things done really well, but it was actually these inward things like greed that they were struggling with. They were actually coming uh, to the table with clean hands but dirty hearts. So that's the problem that Jesus is getting at in this passage. And now that we've said the problem, I actually want to just step back and talk about what I might call the problem behind the problem. It's a problem that frames up the entire career of Jesus that helps us understand what's happening with this ever-widening table, with Jesus feeding all these people, with people like the disciples who really aren't the kinds of people that a rabbi should be eating with, but he's eating with them anyway. The problem behind the problem you might call is table fellowship. You see, Jesus is supposed to be a rabbi. He belongs to the same theological tradition as the Pharisees, so he seems like one of them but he's associating with the wrong kinds of people and they don't like it. It's actually a really big deal who we eat with. I mean, it was a really big, big deal then who you ate with. And if you think about it today, it still kind of is a big deal who you eat with. Like who you have over to your house for a meal probably says a lot about you. I had a great weekend. Some of you guys, uh, different folks invited us over to their home for dinner or out, and it's been great hanging with you guys. I want you to imagine, imagine we're working our house, by the way. We, we bought a beautiful house in Embry Hills, not, the, not far from here. We've got to redo the floors. So uh, our house is kind of toxic right now, so we've been living in an Airbnb for the last week. But let's just imagine the floors, the, the toxicity has gone away, right? The smell is gone. We've painted the walls. We've got some nice furniture. And now we're ready to invite some folks over for dinner. So I want you to imagine that we've invited you over for dinner. And then later on in the week, I send you a text that says, hey, there's some few friends like that are in town from LA and you know, I'd like to invite them too. Is it okay if we have them over? And then you're like, sure, fine, great. We'd love to meet your friends. And then I want you to imagine that you come in and there's some people that maybe you recognize. Like maybe preparing food in the kitchen is Salt Bay. And he's doing his little thing with the salt. I'm gonna see who knows and who doesn't know here. All right, I gotta find some cultural references for you guys. <laughs> salt Bay, he's like Insta-famous. He's like a celebrity chef that's got a ton of swag and he puts salt on meat and anyway. Um, who else can we have here? You know, I'm just taking all my references aren't gonna be good from here. I saw the, the face when I did the Salt, salt Bay, okay? <laughs> Okay, I mean, I don't know, imagine Will Ferrell and Jack Black, they're playing ping pong, you know, in, in the sunroom or something, you know. Um, I don't know, Solange is at the table, you know, waiting, and then 
uh, Shaq comes out the bathroom, you know, he's like, hey guys. And you're like, what is going on here? Like, you know, oh yeah, you know what, I met Shaq, we were on a plane one time, and then, oh yeah, you know, I know this. What would you suddenly think of me, right? Like you already have some kind of concept of me, and then suddenly you would be sitting there with these people. How might you think of me then, and how much you think of yourself in the presence of some of these people? We can imagine another exercise where it's kind of similar. You come over, I've got some friends, and maybe some of those friends are, seem extremely thin. Maybe some of those friends are missing teeth. And as we sit down and eat together, it becomes plain to you that the friends that I have invited over, almost all of them are addicts. They're all struggling with addiction to substances. How might that color your perception of me? How might that even color the perception of yourself as you go home from that dinner? Who we eat dinner with says a lot about us. In this story, we have two tables. There is the table of the Pharisees. And this table is for certain types of people. It's for a certain kind of people that adheres to certain outward practices. They actually look very good to the world, but they often fail to see what God is up to in the world. And they come to the table without true repentance. You can be completely self-seeking and abandon your parents and still dine at the table of the Pharisees. The table of the Pharisees is a table of unacknowledged sin. And then we have the table of our Lord. The table of Jesus is expanding to include more and more types of people. Some of them observe the Jewish customs very well. Others, not so much. Some of them seem like good and cultured people. Others, not so much. But all of them are coming to the table through the waters of baptism. All of them are coming in response to the proclamation of the good news of Jesus that the kingdom is at hand. And so they are turning from their self-seeking ways like that list we read earlier of sexual immorality and theft and greed and malice, and they're turning to Jesus. And so at the table of Christ, we see a table that is for sinners, sinners who have recognized their need for a savior and the need for his grace to amend their ways. And so how will we respond this morning? How should we then respond? Well, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I come across a list of vices or sins in the Bible, like we have here in verse 21 and 22, you guys know like the Apostle Paul likes these lists, like almost every letter he writes has, has a list of these. Whenever I come across a list like these, I feel like, hey, this is a good time for some spiritual inventory. Maybe I can just read through this list and begin to consider, you know what? What sins am I struggling with and why? What areas of my life are in need of God's grace, especially this morning? 
Where do I need the transforming work of the Holy Spirit? Maybe it's a time to ask, have I become, in a sense, like a Pharisee, showing up at the Lord's table, but in a sense, denying his presence in the world, in the way that I think and in the way that I live and in my failure to love my neighbor as myself. So one way to respond is simply to take a moment of, you might say, personal spiritual inventory using this list. And then another way to respond, and this is one I would really like us to think about, especially in this moment in the life of our church. And that is, corporately speaking, how can we welcome more people to this table? How can we welcome more people to this ever-expanding table of our Lord? Are there certain types of people, perhaps, that we are shutting out? Are we, perhaps, putting unnecessary obstacles in people's way as they journey towards this table? Are we doing the work of inviting people in, of inviting our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our family to enjoy with us this feast that we enjoy here every week? What steps do we need to take to become more like Jesus? How do we become more like the one who is always expanding the table and always including more and more people? And then the third way I want us to ask about a response here is how do we extend what's happening here at this table out there into Atlanta? How do we extend what happens here on Sunday across tables in Atlanta? At our former church, we called our community groups or small groups, whatever churches different call them, right? Sometimes we call them neighborhood groups here at Trinity. We call them table groups. And the reason we call them table groups is because we saw what was happening in our homes during the week as an extension of the grace and hospitality that we were receiving here. And so it's not as if that this, this ends here. We want to continue this into our week. And so the question is, how is God wanting to do that through us? What is it that he's doing here that he wants to extend in our homes maybe in our waffle houses, you know, wherever it is, we might meet up over a table to extend hospitality and grace to receive from our Lord together on this very day after this church service, we will host a pizza party. That is a wonderful way to extend what's happening into our homes, into together. And although this is, in a sense, a separate and sacred meal, right? I'm not trying to say that the body of our Lord and pizza are the same thing. But it gives us new and spiritual eyes to see that our fellowship is actually something sacred. That when two or three of us are gathered together, Christ is indeed present there in a special way. And that same grace and hospitality that Jesus welcomes even people like us to his table we receive that hospitality and then we began to extend it to our neighbors. What would it look like for us to take this grace and hospitality we receive from our Lord and extend it to the communities where we live? Heavenly Father,
We thank you for extending your table to include even people like us. Help us to extend the grace and hospitality we have known through feasting at your table. Help us to become a people ready to welcome those you are calling to your table. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's take a moment of silent reflection and ask the Lord what he would say to us in this moment.